Amen. Well, if you got your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 1. Tonight we're going to talk about the prayer of total surrender. The prayer of total surrender. I wonder if you ever thought about what it really takes to surrender. Uh, I used to love to watch the old uh, movies. You know, when I was watching these old movies, you'd always see that white flag come up, right? And a white flag would come up, and as they would wave that white flag, it meant really just something very simple. It meant, I give up. My life is yours. Now, what they could do with your life was completely up to them. Once you'd given them control of your life, it was completely up to them what they did with it. You know, of course, most of the movies, they kind of ended at that point. You know, the war was over, you know, there was now peace, and everything was good, but... What you don't see at that point is what the enemy would actually do with the person that surrendered. You see, they could imprison them. They could free them. They could make them work for them. They could actually take their very lives. The the idea of total surrender means it's whatever you want to do with me. You can do it. I'm no longer my own. And so we come to this prayer of total surrender. Oftentimes, we as Christians, we fail to pray this. We fail to think like this. We fail to understand that whatever God wants to do with our lives, it's his. It's not ours. Uh, when we become Christians, we talk about a passage in Galatians 2.20. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That means it's not my life to live any longer. I've been crucified with Christ. I have put that old man to death, and I've been given a brand new life in Christ, and therefore it's his life to live through me. So tonight, we're going to actually look at two of these prayers, and one of them is going to come from Mary, and the other one is going to come from Jesus. But I just thought this was really unique when you think about it. In Luke chapter 1, verse 38, when we look at Mary, it says this, And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. Listen to this. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Be it unto me according to thy word. In other words, Lord, whatever you want. Whatever you say is going to happen. Now, you got to understand the context of this. This is right before she has been told that she is going to bear the Son of God. So when we look at this, there's a couple things that are really unique when you think about the way that Mary prayed this. The first thing is she would be ridiculed for being unwed and pregnant. Look at me in verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? In other words, she says, I've never been intimate with a man, so I know what what it takes, but it's never happened for me. So how can these things take place? She understood that she was going to be ridiculed. Ridiculed because she was not married. Now she and Joseph were Engage, which in a way was like marriage, but yet not completed yet. During the engagement period, husbands would actually go off. They would build a place where they could bring their future wives to. They would make sure that they had a place for her to go. And so that's what would happen during the engagement period. Well, while this is going on, she becomes pregnant. In fact, we know that Joseph was a righteous man. He had even talked about putting her away once he found out she was pregnant. He was going to put her away. He was going to write her a certificate of divorce. You know what Joseph could have done? Joseph could have had her stoned. That's what could have happened. But he being a righteous and just man, he simply wanted to write her. And you'd say, well, wait a minute. Weren't they just engaged? Why would he write her a certificate of divorce? Well, that's how important engagement was back then. You would have to write a certificate of divorce even in the midst of the engagement process to break off the engagement. 
That's how big it was. That's why you got to make sure before you put a ring on it, you know what you're doing, right? And so he sits there and, he, and, and Joseph understood that, man, guess what? Here's this woman I'm going to marry. She's pregnant and it's not my child. And I'm still going to marry her. This is while we were together, while we were engaged. Now, of course, God had to tell Joseph, this is my child. I've, I'm the one that's placed, her, placed this child in her womb. But she would be ridiculed. You imagine walking around, you're not married. You think about it. We know it today. If a young lady came in here and she was pregnant and she wasn't married, she would receive ridicule, wouldn't she? There'd be some people that look down on her. And I'm going to tell you, we're, we as Christians, we can be really bad about that. You know? We, we talk about forgiveness and we talk about love, but somebody comes in like that and we're looking at them like they're the scum of the earth. And then you wonder why some people go out and have abortions without letting people know. So, in other words, we just add to the sin, right? We make it worse because we can be judgmental. She would be ridiculed because she was unwed and pregnant. She knows that people would be watching her every time she walked. You know, later on it comes on, they say, they're looking at Jesus and they, they know that Joseph was not his daddy. They, they made fun of him because of that. They thought, who are you to come and teach us? We know where you came from. Well, actually, they didn't know where he came from. But Mary would receive the greatest ridicule that any woman could receive at that time. She would be looked at as though she should have already been stoned. She should have been thrown out. She should have been cast out. Joseph shouldn't have stayed with her. All kinds of ridicule she would receive. Joseph would have received some ridicule as well, but not as much as Mary. Secondly, she'd be ridiculed if she told the truth. Verse 35, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the high shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now could you imagine... Here's this woman walking around. She's pregnant. She's more than likely, you ready for this? More than likely, she's about 17 years old. You know, that's usually when young ladies got married in biblical times. The men were 30 and the women were 17. That's usually how it happened. So she's a young girl. She's pregnant. She's engaged. She goes around. Could you imagine if somebody come up to her and said, well, we know it's not Joseph. We know it's not Joseph's baby. So whose is it? She goes, it's God's. I mean, just imagine that. Just, just imagine if we didn't know the story of the birth of our Savior, if literally a young woman walked into the church and she was pregnant and she said, I'm carrying God's baby. Do you imagine the ridicule? She, some of y'all would be like, she needs psychiatric help. She needs to be mentally stable. She, she would be ridiculed if she told the truth. And she walked up and said, well, this is the Lord's baby. The Lord has placed his seed in me. The Lord, through the Holy Spirit, has given me a child through, through a virgin birth. I mean, you think about it. Now, you think about it this way. We as Christians, when we go out and we proclaim the virgin birth, people think we're crazy. Don't they? They look at us and they say, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And I'm sitting there thinking, no, it's not. I've heard a lot crazier things than that. What it is, is it's just hard for people to understand. It's hard for people to believe. Imagine Mary having to explain her pregnancy. They're thinking she has what? She's gone off and committed adultery with some other man other than Joseph. And she, what can she do? She can bear the ridicule. She can tell the truth. And then she's ridiculed even more for the truth. Because people look at her like she's crazy. And then she'd be ridiculed for trusting in God. In verse, one, in verse 37 it says, For with God nothing shall be impossible. I mean, you think about it. She had to have immense faith 
immense faith to be like, she just looks at God, she goes, whatever you want, Lord. That's a prayer of total surrender. God, I know I'm going to be ridiculed by the world. I'm going to be ridiculed for the things that are going on. I'm going to be ridiculed for trusting in you. I'm going to be ridiculed for telling the truth. I'm going to be ridiculed for my circumstances and my situation. And you're the one that brought it on me. But whatever you want, God, whatever you want. Man, how many of us would be willing to do that? How many of us would be willing to be ridiculed by the world, by the entire world, for what we believe in? Well, guess what? As Christians, oftentimes I hear people say, well, I don't want anybody making fun of me for what I believe in, or I'm not sure what I believe in. Now, there's the scary thought. Truth of the matter is, is people get mad at me all the time, and they say, man, I can't believe you believe in such an exclusive God. You know, he's exclusive. He excludes people. Well, he really doesn't exclude people, but if you don't come to know him, you exclude yourself. I don't mind telling people that Jesus is the only way, and people look at me like I'm crazy. We should be accepting of all religions. We should coexist, as the bumper sticker says, right? That's the stupidest bumper sticker I've ever seen. I usually, you know what they're, they're usually, well, I'm, I'm going to leave that one alone. Leave it alone. But the truth of the matter is, we'll be ridiculed for these things. But here's the truth. If we are totally surrendered, we don't mind being ridiculed for what we believe because we know it is the truth. And here's the truth of the matter. We may be ridiculed down here, but I'm here to tell you it'll be a blessing when we get up there. You see, we've got to be totally and fully surrendered. She was willing to be face the scrutiny of the world. Well, let's look at Jesus' prayer. Look over me in Luke chapter 22. Luke 22 and verse 42. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying. And in verse 42, as he's kneeling down and he's praying before the Lord, he says, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but let, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. How many of us are willing to pray that when we pray? I mean, let's be honest, we, we, we pray for those that are sick. I remember when we were praying for my wife's uh, grandmother. My wife's grandmother had Alzheimer's. She was, really had some difficulties. She couldn't remember people, and her health just kept deteriorating. And, and we prayed. We prayed, God, we want you to heal her according to your will. Well, it wasn't a couple of weeks later she passed on. She went on. And so a lot of people would look at that and say, well, you know, are you saying it was God's will to take her home? The answer is, yes, it was. And now she's completely healed. Amen. Now she's healed better than she could be here. So I had no problem with that. And the truth of the matter is, God knows what is needed in each and every situation. He knows what we're going to ask before we ask. God knows these things. And so Jesus here, he's praying. Now, a lot of people look at this and say, oh, can you believe that Jesus was praying that God would find another way? That's not what he was praying. He said, if there's another way, but I know there's not, so your will be done. You think about that. Do you understand what Jesus was getting ready to face? He was getting ready to face the most excruciating death anybody would ever go through, the crucifixion, where his nerves would be destroyed where he would stand there and he would suffer on a cross. He would have a hard time breathing, asphyxiating, having a hard time breathing, able to breathe carbon dioxide out of his system. Eventually, he would fill up with water and it would drown him around his lungs. Why do you think water and blood poured out when they pierced him in his side? 
He basically drowned on the cross. But you know the worst agonizing part of the cross was for him? The Father forsook him. He knew that was coming. He knew that when all of sin of mankind was laid on him, that would be the greatest punishment of all time. Because here's the thing. He made him who knew no sin become sin for us. The very thing that God hates, he became. The very thing that he despises, the very thing that he tried to keep from happening from the beginning, the very thing that God cannot stand, his son became on the cross. And then he was forsaken by the Father. You see, that's why he was under such immense pressure. But look at this. Jesus was weak, verse 43. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Now, it's always interesting to me when people look at that and they say, well, what do you mean he became weak? Well, he was a man, so he was physical. I mean, you think about everything he went to or everything that was getting ready to happen. He was weak. Now, there's another time where the angels come and strengthen him. It's found in Matthew chapter 4 after the long temptation, after he fasted for 40 days. And he went through this long, immense temptation from Satan. And then angels came and ministered unto him. He was weak at that time. Now, it's interesting because a lot of people say, well, wait a minute. Wasn't he 100% God? The answer is yes, but he was also 100% man. And because he was a man, he would have strength like us. He needed to sleep. He needed to rest. He needed to, he, all these physical attributes that are true of us were true of him. And so he was weak at this moment. He needed God to strengthen him while he was there in prayer. But he was also stressed. Look at verse 44. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Some people would say he was intense, all right, as, as though intense and stress mean something different, you know, because stress, some people think, is a sin. No, not necessarily. We can become stressed. It's not about worry. It's just we can become stressed over things that are happening in our lives. In fact, his stress was so much, his intensity was so much that what happens, it's a, it's a medical condition that the capillaries in your forehead can burst and they get into your sweat glands, and then they come out like sweat, and it's got blood and sweat mingled together. That's how intense and pressured his head was with thinking about what he was getting ready to accomplish. Sweat drops like blood came pouring out of his head. But he's totally surrendered. He's ready to go. He was also sorrowful, verse 45. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. I mean, you remember Matthew tells us he went back three times and found them sleeping. Could you not pray with me one hour? Imagine that. I mean, how many of you even pray one hour? He looks at his disciples, Could you not pray with me one hour? Now, here's the thing. One hour, and then he comes back. Another hour, and he comes back. And a third hour. That's how many times Jesus went and prayed. He went and prayed three times. And he prayed, and guess what? The Bible says he prayed the same thing. But he was praying with such immense pressure upon him because he was getting ready to face, but he was all in. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, another guy reminds me of this. His name is Isaiah. God said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he said, here am I, Lord, send me. I mean, we all know that prayer, right? But you go over to Isaiah 20, do you realize that that prayer of, here are my Lord, send me, would mean he would walk around naked for three years? 
Most people don't know that prophecy about Isaiah. Isaiah had to walk around for three years naked as a prophecy to the people that they were going to be taken as slaves. Here am I, Lord, send me, right? We're thinking fully clothed, right? We're thinking, you know, I'll do whatever you want, Lord, but not that. But there was a reason behind it. In fact, Ezekiel had to lay on his side as he held a city on his side for over a year. Some of the things the prophets had to do were immense, but they were sold out to whatever God called them to do. Jeremiah was told, you go and preach to the people, but they're not going to listen. It's unbelievable. One of the prophets could not mourn for the death of his own wife. I believe that was Ezekiel. Jeremiah couldn't even get married because of what God had called him to do. But they were sold out. They knew what it meant to be totally and fully surrendered. That's why I love Evan Roberts in the Welsh Revival. And his statement was, bend me. But born out of his prayer of bend me was the Welsh Revival theme that said, bend the church and save the world. Bend the church and save the world. Evan Roberts was so desperate to see God move. He said, I I will not stop praying till 100,000 souls are saved. It happened in less than two years. Now that's a huge chunk for Wales. It changed not only that country, but in a lot of ways it changed the world. You see, we've got to come to a point where we recognize that we are living sacrifices. Romans 12.1 tells us this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20, Paul says there, for you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. When we're totally surrendered, we recognize that it is no longer we who are living. It is our obligation to let God be in charge of our lives. I wonder how often there have been times where you've asked God why. I mean, let's just be honest. Sometimes in prayer it comes out, right? We're, we're going through a difficult situation and we start to think to ourselves, God, uh, you know, we start giving our pedigree to God, right? God, I, I teach Sunday school. You know, I'm a deacon. Uh, God, I, I go to every service when the doors are open. My kids are in Awana and we read our Bibles together, and God, do you, do you not see all the things that we do for you? And, but, but why is this happening to us now? Why are we going through this? Why are you allowing it to happen to us? But you know, when we ask the question why, what we're basically saying is, it's not so much why me, it's like, why not Mike? Why not Albert? You, you're welcome to do it to anybody else, just not me. I mean, I know how you work, I know how you are, but, you know, I don't want to have to go through it. But here's the thing that I've realized is, that when God puts you under immense pressure, when God puts you through difficult situations, it's because he's going to do something great through you. Always. When you go through a hardship, when you go through a hard time, it is because God is preparing you for something great. Because until you are fully broken, you can't be fully surrendered. And once you come to those two instances where you are fully broken and fully surrendered to God, God is going to do some immense things through you. I know we talked a little bit about D.L. Moody on Sunday, but I just want to read this prayer to you because I think this is, this is amazing that D.L. Moody, he wrote this. He said, use me then, my Savior, for whatever purpose and in whatever way you may require. Here is my poor heart, an empty vessel, 
Fill it with your grace. Here's my sinful and troubled soul. Quicken it and refresh it with your love. Take my heart for your abode. My mouth to spread abroad the glory of your name. My love and all my powers for the advancement of your believing people. And never suffer the steadfastness and confidence of my faith to abate. So that at all times I may be enabled from the heart to say, Jesus needs me and I am his. Totally and utterly surrendered to God. There is nothing that God can't ask us to do. There is nothing that we will sit back and say, God, that's not for me. You can give that to somebody else, but I'm just fine. When God calls you to do something, no matter what, as a Christian, you will simply say, here am I, Lord, send me. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to do whatever you call me to do. I'm willing to be whoever you call me to be. I want to be fully yours. I am all in. And if you can say that, if you can say you're all in, I'm here to tell you, God will do something amazing through you. I promise you, if the church is all in, we will change our community. Not only change our community, we'll change our state. And then we will change the world. I believe that with all my heart, if we will follow the passion that Jesus Christ has laid out for us to reach our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and then the other parts of the world, we will never be the same. My question for you this this evening is simply this. How surrendered are you? How surrendered are you? Are you absolutely all in? If God were to ask you to do something today, would you sit back and say, oh, well, you know, wait a minute. I, you know, I don't have time for that. I'm uncertain of that. Because here's the problem that we exist in the way we live in. We got our plate. And our plate, man, we fill it up. We got work. And we got to watch a little television. We might have a little league on there. We got our social media time. We got our phone calls we got to make. We got dinner plans. We got a movie we got to go see. We got to spend some time with our kids. And so, man, we start filling up our plate. And then when we look right down to it, we go, my plate's full. And yet of all things we've done, we've, we've got all this time for all these different things. But where's the time for God? Where's his time? Where is he in the whole matter? The truth of the matter is every day you should start with a clean plate. And say, God, here's my plate. Take it. will really make a difference. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you.